If we haven't met yet, my name's Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope. And today, we're excited to be bringing you the second installment of this Second Chance series, okay? Mercy, the daily series. Anybody on the dailies with me on the dailies online? If you don't know what that is, you can go ahead and sign up for it. You can join anytime. Just go to nyhopechurch.com. You'll see a big button that says, join the dailies. It's different from our social media. It's actually like a little course we're doing every day on the daily, okay? Today, we're bringing you the second installment of the Second Chance series. You ready for it? From 1939 to 1966, so for a couple years, there were these daily Superman comic strips called the dailies, and you'll see them go by. These comic strips are actually our team's inspiration for this series. Don't they do a great job with the props, prop building, and creative design? It's so fun, and they keep it fresh, right? Yes, just like God's mercy is fresh, we try to keep it fresh right here at Hope Church on the Daily. And uh, there's this thing called the Daily Planet and these Superman things, you know? God is like invested in daily stuff to a daily planet, and his headlines are always like, new, every morning, brand new mercy, right? He has the longest daily source on the planet. If you've ever seen the Daily Planet and Superman, you can say, my God is the longest daily source for news and life transformation on the planet. He is the source of all sources. He's the solution of all solutions. Come on, he is the God of all gods. He is like nobody else, and he's been consistent, not for a few years through a comic strip, but he has been consistent on the daily for generations, from everlasting to everlasting. His mercy knows no end. He's been showing up with comic strips every single day fresh stuff and something i love about superman is superman does not always just save the day but he actually runs towards the problems and whenever you're watching or reading superman you know he's eventually going to be smack dab in the middle of the problem moment he's going to find himself to be middle of the mess and he's going to save the people from destruction, from villains, from some crazy thing that's happening. He's like a leader at Hope Church. He's a problem solver. Come on, leaders. He is saying, I love to solve problems. Three things we believe about problems are problems are our passion, first off, right? Problems point to our purpose. Second off, you are here on the planet, on the daily, the daily planet to solve problems. You're made in the image of Christ, the ultimate problem solver, the daily planet problem solver, and you, like him, are here to get after problems. How many of you guys believe you're the solution? Don't you know that Christ in you is the hope of all glory? That's what the Bible says, that you are the problem solver to this planet. Problems point to your purpose. Problems are your passion. And number three, problems are always a pathway to promotion. So whenever I see a problem, I get excited. I'm like, man, that's, that's why I'm here. First off, that's my passion. Second off, and man, I see a promotion coming. I'm about to solve a problem for somebody. How many of you guys are problem solvers? Well, that's, that's the mentality Superman has. He's always in the middle of the problem because he's a problem solver. And he's not afraid to jump into the middle of any mess. No job is too big. No pup is too small. He's on the problem patrol every single day. I just saw Paw Patrol with my kids. It's the first movie in all my history that I fell asleep in the movie theaters. And I woke up and I went with their papa. It was me and papa and the two boys, and he was sleeping too. And so our kids were literally there in the movie theaters sitting around us with no supervision. Anything could have happened. They had popcorn and we were sleeping on the Paw Patrol. No job is too big. No puppy is too small, right? 
Because we're on the problem patrol. Man, I can't believe it. I fell asleep in a movie I paid to go see. But you would understand if you saw the movie. It was really, it was really good, Theo. I'm just messing with you. Man, it was really good. The point is, Superman, he shows up in like the midst of problems and saves the day. Today we're calling this one Mercy in the Middle of the Mess. Everybody say, Mercy in the Midst. If you're from the King James era, mercy in the midst. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name together, there I am in the... That's Jesus' promise to us. When two or three get gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst or the middle of them. John 19, 18, when Jesus was crucified, it says, the Father saw to it that his cross was in the midst of two sinners, two thieves, Two problem people in the middle of society, stealing stuff. Come on. Jesus ran to the middle of the problem. He was hung in the middle of two problems. He died for sin in the middle of problems. He's a problem small. Smack dab in the middle of the problem, there was Jesus, the Savior, the solution. John, in the book of Revelation, he tells us that he heard a voice behind him. When he turned to see the voice, it was the Lamb of God in the midst of the throne. When Jesus roamed from the dead, he got up from the grave. He appeared to the disciples in an upper room behind locked doors. He like walked through walls. And he was in their midst, the Bible said. Like he just showed up in the middle of the circle, the middle of the huddle. What do you suppose would happen when you put Jesus, the ultimate savior, the ultimate solver, the ultimate solution in the midst of your mess? What do you think would happen to your marriage if you put him in the middle of your marriage, in the midst of your relationship with your offspring, even in the middle of every single mess? Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in Christ all things are held together in the middle. I say in the middle. Little in the middle, but she's got much back, right? He's right there in the middle. I would say in the middle. When Christ is in your life, you are held together. I want to tell you, your mind is held together different when Jesus is in your life. You get a peace that surpasses all understanding. Your money is held together. You get blessings that surpass normal blessings. Your marriage is held together. All things, the Bible says, are held together. And not just held together like, hold on for dear life. Keep it together, honey. We're falling apart. No, no, no. Held together to thrive. Held together to excel in life. Held together to be the head and not the tail above only never beneath i want to tell you you weren't created to be whipped around by life with whiplash smacking into things like you're the tail you're not the tail you're not going to knock stuff over you're not going to destroy stuff no actually you were born to whip life into shape like the head you were created to be in christ all things are held together you are the head and not the whipping tail is life whipping you this morning or are you whipping it Come on, you've been called to be the head, not the tail. And that's why God wants to be in the midst. We're the middle, in the middle of our mercy series. He wants to be in the middle of every mess in the room. Problems don't intimidate God. Sin doesn't intimidate God. You know, falling short doesn't intimidate God. He loves to get in the middle of every mess. And then he loves you too much to leave you in the middle of your mess. And that same mercy, some say that, you know, that mercy and holiness are contrary to another, one another. They're contrary to each other. 
And if you preach the mercy of God, being too good, pastor. I mean, if you go too aggressively towards God's goodness, people will throw away holiness and just abuse God's mercy. They will just run rampant, wild animals, just ruining God and his reputation and his name and his mercy. I mean, God, who is rich in second chances, are you sure you want to tell everybody that he's rich, like wealthy, in second chance? Are you sure? <laughs> You want to tell them, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, no consequence, zero repercussion when the mercy of God hits your mess. You mean, you're going to tell them, he's always, always, always going to be there for a second chance for you? Somebody call James Bunny. Somebody call James Bond, honey, because he's given away a license to sin, Earl. He's given away a license to kill. He's given away a license to destroy. Everybody's going to ruin their lives. People are going to go crazy if you really preach this mercy message. We're going to lose character. We're going to lose our holiness and righteousness. And we're going to be a bunch of, of, of fallen apart, reckless, rag-filled Christians. If you preach that strong, Pastor, people will live like hell and, uh, you know, have an unholy lifestyle abusing the mercy of God. Actually, Paul talks about this very thing when he says, where sin abounds, therefore grace abounds so much more. I love Romans 5, 20 and 21 in the message version. It says, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. That's what this message is. It's aggressive on grace. It's aggressive on mercy. It's aggressive on the goodness of God. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death and that's the end of it. Grace because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah invites us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on in a world without end. I'm talking about life to the fullest. Let's go back to read the real scriptures from the newer King James Version, for chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, church? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? There's the oh snap, mic drop moment. How shall we who died to sin live a second longer in it? See, this is not about permitting sin. It's about receiving God's goodness. It's not about permitting sin. It's about receiving God's mercy. And a lot of people might not like this, but what changes people's minds about God, what leads people to true repentance and true holiness, it's his kindness. It's his mercy. It's his goodness. It's his grace. Grace wins hands down. And mercy is really just God's goodness or his kindness exemplified. In action, Romans 2.4 says, do you despise, speaking to Christians, do you despise the riches of his goodness? Why are you telling everybody to tone down the mercy message? Do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering, not knowing, not realizing, not acknowledging that it is the goodness of God that leads you to life transformation, to repentance, to turn around? It's his goodness that leads us to life turnaround or life change. Repentance is not, oh, I'm really, 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 really sorry, and I promise you I will never, ever, ever, ever do it again. 
Repentance is literally changing the way you think. When John was preaching the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. John the Baptist message, he said, repent. He didn't say, come forward and tell everybody how sorry you are. And say, you'll never, ever, ever do it again, you worthless piece of trash sinner. Repent literally means change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, repent. What is he saying? Change your mind because everything you thought you knew about God is about to get flipped upside down. He's not a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. He's not a God of condemnation. He's a God of calls upward in Christ Jesus. Come on. He's not a God of guilt and shame. He's a God of goodness and setting you free. And it's his kindness that leads to real life turnaround. It's a militaristic word. It's you're headed this way. Repent. You head this way. You turn around, you shift around, and it's not in anything other than in your thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so he receives the mercy of God. As a man thinks in his subconscious, so he lives his life, so his life unfolds. He's saying, get ready for your subconscious to shift, because you're about to get flipped upside down. You thought God was this, Jewish people? You're about to see the goodness of God on display, and it's going to change your theology. It's going to change your brokenness. It's going to change the way you deal with yourself. It's going to change the shame and the baggage and the guilt that you've been carrying around for generations. You're going to finally be set free, and it's his kindness. He says, it's my kindness that leads you to life turnaround. I want you to catch that. It's not God's commands. It's not his correction. It's definitely not his condemnation. Come on. There is zero condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus from God. No, it's his kindness that leads to the power of turning your life around. It's mercy. It's grace. And honestly, I'm so glad he's merciful and kind because we all miss the mark somewhere. I said we all fall short somewhere in life. And when we miss the mark, God always meets us in the middle of our mess with his mercy, with his mercy, with fresh. You mean I did it last time? I'm talking about fresh mercy. But you don't remember, fresh mercy. But I don't know if I can do this to you twice. Fresh mercy. He meets us with a second chance. And some are worried about preaching a gospel that's too good because of the message of mercy. Because the thought of living a guilt-free life, an ultimate chance life oh my gosh it just stresses people out why because without my guilt i'll go crazy i'm gonna get unhinged i'll go off the rails i can't be trusted with freedom like free free like he who the sun says free is free indeed i can't trust myself with that kind of power no shame real mercy real forgiveness from god that would make me so unholy <laughs> because it's my shame that reminds me of the worm that I really am. Oh, I'm just a worm saved by grace. No, you're not. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As he is in this world, so are you. Oh, I'm just a shame, sin-filled sinner saved by grace. Stop it, you're not. You were, but then you gave your heart to Jesus and there is no shame, there is no sin. That is not your identity, that is not who you are. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees blameless. What? Righteous. Yes. Holy. Set apart. And it's the mercy of God that gets you to that moment of holiness. It connects you. It doesn't separate you. And my shame 
You know, it reminds me of the things I, I'm not and how terrible. And that's the shame that keeps me on the straight and narrow. Pastor, without shame, I don't stay on the straight and narrow. Hi, my name's Timmy, and I'm a shame-filled alcoholic. Oh, you sure you want to say that? Why do they confess that first? Why is that the first confession of their nightly routine? Why? Hi, my name's Johnny, and I'm a shame-filled addict. And if I ever forget that, I'll be out of control, and I can't trust myself. So I have to remind myself continually, I am this, or else I'll do this. Or the other extreme. Other people, they resist mercy because it takes away all my excuses to carry my baggage. And if mercy is real, it's pressure on me to shed the shame and get out of my dysfunction. And if mercy is real, if I can really be free from shame and guilt and condemnation and his mercy and his forgiveness and freedom, life to the fullest stuff is real, why do I still have these thousands of pounds of baggage on my shoulders? On this shoulder, I have 30 pounds. On this shoulder, I have 70 pounds. And my back's all out of alignment. I'm carrying around stuff that I've been carrying my whole life. I have no reason for this. Are you telling me I'm crazy? To learn the lesson this way? To forget where I came from? You're telling me I'm crazy? To forget those things that are behind and reach and press toward the upward free calling in Christ? You're, You're telling me I'm crazy? You're crazy. I'm not crazy. You're crazy. And all of a sudden, your shame doesn't make sense anymore. If mercy is real. You're like, oh my gosh, pastor, you're messing with my script. What am I going to tell my Aunt Lucy when I see her? We always talk the same scripts. Oh my gosh, you're messing with my coping mechanisms. About the way, you're messing with my thoughts about the way life is. What my mama taught me, what her mama, and how I stay on the straight and narrow. Without my shame, I'm a train wreck. I have to protect myself. From what I could do. I have to protect myself from other people. I have to remember what it felt like when that thing hurt me. I have to learn my lesson and really feel it all the way. And without shame, I have no excuse to be like this long term. And what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do with my marriage that's a mess if I don't have any shame from my past? Now it's just on me. Oh, man. What do I do without shame? I don't know who I am without shame. I don't know what my script is without shame. I don't know what my coping mechanism is without shame. Who am I without guilt? So they get their scissors out, and they go to town, cutting out all the verses that calls them to live a shame-free life. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of cutting that has to happen. And they despise these messages. Let's go back to that verse in Romans. And they despise these messages about the riches of his goodness. Saying, oh, come on, pastor. He's good, but he's not that good. That's despicable what you're doing to these people. How you're just telling them it's fresh every morning and your brand new chance. And you can never outdo the mercy of God. You can never out mess up his mercy. It's despicable. And they despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to life repentance. Come on, pastor. Feed him the real word. Tell him a little bit of guilt. A little. Keep him a little bit heavy. They say things like, well, this preaching, it makes you feel good. Nice preaching, really cute, but life's not really like that. I've learned lessons different ways, and I know why I am the way I am. And you're carrying baggage. You can't just be baggage-free. Are you kidding me? That's a euphoric, unrealistic lifestyle. And for a myriad of reasons, they start to get religious, and they pit mercy against holiness. And say, mercy and holiness is the problem. we got to stop all these preachers just talking about the prosperity and the mercy of God, the goodness of God. 
We just got to just balance it out just a little bit. It's a little extreme. But nothing could be further from the truth. I'd say holiness, the greatest holiness, is covered in the greatest mercy. Mercy and holiness go together like a hand in a glove. The greatest holiness, the greatest integrity, the greatest set-apartness, the greatest wonderfulness is smothered in mercy. Here's one way I know that holiness and, and mercy do not contradict one another. They actually complement one another. If we were to go back to ancient Israel, all the way back to King David and King Solomon, what nation would God consider to be the holiest nation of all? I mean, the holiest people in all the world. The nation of Israel. Thank you very much. They were set apart from all the other nations as God's chosen people, God's separate people, God's set apart holy people. Okay, in all of the holy land, holy land of Israel, what would the holiest city be considered? Jerusalem. Okay, now in the holiest city, in the holiest of nations, what was the highest, holiest location? The Temple Mount. Now in the holiest location, in the holiest city, in the holiest nation, What's the holiest of holiest placed in the holy place? That's right. They called it the holy of holies. What is the centerpiece of furniture in the holiest of holiest room? The Ark of the Covenant. You know the one you saw in the last crusaders of the lost Ark? It's the holiest of holy in the center of the holiest nation, the holy city. I mean, the holiest location Ark of the Covenant. Now, what is at the center of the holiest place of the furniture in the holiest room, in the holiest place, in the holiest city, in the holiest nation? The center of the piece of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. And you're telling me mercy and holiness don't go together? At the center of the center of the holiest of holies is a place called the mercy seat. Come on. I want you to know that right at the heart of God, it's the holiest thing you can find in the heart of God is mercy. Mercy is right in the middle of the middle. Everybody say mercy in the middle. Mercy is not an addition. Mercy is not peripheral. Mercy is not off to the side of the gospel. Mercy is straight down the middle to the point. Mercy is the point of the gospel. It's been at the very heart of God himself since the beginning of time. The Bible says he is rich in mercy. I'm talking stacks on stacks and second chances. If you're following the dailies with me, you caught this week, our God is rich in mercy. It's like his mercy is stacked up on top of more mercy, on top of more mercy. Stacks and stacks of mercy fresh every morning. And Ephesians 2.4 says, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, I'm talking, making it rain, baby, because of his great love with which he loved us. Why is he so rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together, made us sit together in a heavenly place in Christ Jesus that we don't belong in because of mercy. So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Come on. That's so rich, church, because he's so rich. Let's give it up for Ephesians 2.4 real quick. He is loaded. He's got stacks on stacks, mercy on top of mercy, piled up all over the place, ready for your big disgrace. Kicking your can all over the place. Come on now. He will, he will rock you with his mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in kindness. He is rich in empowerment and grace. 
John 1.16 affirms this, for from Christ's fullness. You want the fullness of who Jesus is? We have all received grace upon grace. Stacks on stacks of grace. Empowerment. NIV translates, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace that's already been given to us. Up in our face. For our big disgrace. <laughs> I love that. Kicking your can all over the place. Which means grace and then more grace. I hope these messages kick your religious can all over the place. Grace, sir, on top of grace. Grace in place of that. More grace in place of that. More grace. The point is God is rich in grace. Grace upon grace. He's rich in kindness. So that his kindness might, the psalmist said, your loving kindness is so rich, it's better than my life itself. Meaning I'd rather have your loving kindness than my anything else. And also, he's rich in mercy. He's rich in another undeserved chance. Chance upon chance. His mercies have no end. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Everlasting to everlasting. They are so relevant. Uh, Lamentations 3 says, fresh and new every single morning. The word of God is not archaic. It's alive. It's active. And it'll meet you in the middle. It'll meet you in mercy spot. It seems ridiculous and risky to us because we are limited in our mercy, limited in our grace, limited in our kindness. Hello, somebody. We protect ourselves from people and situations and ideas that could possibly hurt us in the future because they have in the past. Anybody who could reject us, we protect ourselves on the daily. But God, who is not like you, he is rich in mercy. He reaches beyond your humanity with his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead set and doing the wrong things on purpose, he made us alive together in Christ. And he gave us a space to belong in a holy place, a heavenly place. While we were rejecting him, while we were missing the mark, while we were abusing him, he showed us undeserved, unmerited grace and mercy. I want you to get this. We get what we don't deserve. Why else do you think we're so excited in church? You think we're faking it? This is, this is from a place of, oh my gosh, I got free from it again. He let me off the hook again. And, and Why? Why? Ephesians says, so that he could show us the riches of his mercy. His mercy is rich, and he is rich in mercy. If you haven't joined the dailies, I want to encourage you. Go ahead, jump online or jump in on the daily. You will catch thoughts like these every single day. And there it is on the, on the side. So Jesus on the cross between two thieves is such a powerful picture of mercy in the middle of messes. In the Old Testament, under God's direction, God's spirit um, told David and Solomon how to build a temple that would hold the mercy seat in the middle of the temple. In 1 Chronicles 28.10, David's speaking to his son Solomon. He says, I'm not going to be able to finish this or really do this right. So consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary, son. Be strong and just receive the mercy. Be strong and just do it, Solomon. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule. I want you to listen to this list. The vestibule, the houses, the treasuries, the upper chambers, the inner chambers, and for the place of the mercy seat. Then he goes on, of the courts of the house of the Lord, in the chambers, in the treasuries, he dedicated all things. So right in the middle of this list is mercy. A place for the mercy seat. Can we keep the verse up? A place for the smack dab in the middle of a list of stuff the place for the mercy seat and all these plans had been given to him by the spirit so the, the thing i want you to see is this david is passing the baton he's about to die and by the spirit god gave him the plans for the tabernacle 
And it says right there, and a place of mercy. A place for the mercy seat. The measurements were so detailed for this tabernacle, he, he said there wasn't even a, to, a, a tool or the sound of iron to be heard because it was put together perfectly. Astonishing. The Spirit of God knew exactly what to do to get mercy in the middle. And then he says, make sure in the middle of everything, everything, I want you to get a place. Have a place. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, have a place for the mercy seat. The mercy seat, we would call it the Ark of the Covenant. And in 2021, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are to fill our temples with good things like David said, vestibules and treasuries and this and that. We're to fill the temple with good things. We are to fill our temples with prayer. Anybody still praying? With worship. Anybody still worshiping? With the word of God. You fill in your temple with the word. Acts of kindness. Acts of service. Come on. In community and so on. But here's the message I want you to catch. Make sure that in your temple, make sure that in your life, that among all these other things that are in there, the right thing, it's in the middle. And that thing is called mercy. You have a place for the mercy seat of God on the daily. To receive it and to give it away to others. Make a spot in the middle in God's house for mercy. It was so real in David's life. See, he had messed up so bad, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. He stole her from another man who was off to war. And he was punishable by death according to the Old Testament law. If you steal another man's wife, he murdered somebody named Uriah. That's the, the, the real husband. He murdered him. And honestly, in their judicial system, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And David deserves death. He said, if you murder somebody, your life must be taken. But he experienced the mercy of God over and over again. He had a second chance that he did not deserve. I want to tell you this. The first baby him and Bathsheba had died. The second baby was named Solomon. Solomon is a byproduct of God's mercy. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. He doesn't even exist had David not received the mercy of God. The person he's passing on, the wisest person to ever live, the richest man to ever live, the most successful king to ever rule Israel, doesn't exist without the mercy of God on David before he gets a chance to have another baby. Are you catching what I'm saying? So David is imploring his mercy son. There must be a place for the temple and the mercy seat. There must be a place for mercy seat in the temple, in the middle. Make a space in the middle for mercy. You're the most successful, the richest, wealthiest. People from all over the world are going to come to see what's happening right here in Jerusalem at this temple mount. And you're going to say, my success is because mercy is in the middle. Everything works around me because mercy is in the middle. You're going to be the wisest man to ever live because mercy is in the middle. You don't know it yet, Solomon, but I am setting you up for success. Make sure there's a place. Come on, people of hope. I'm trying to set you up for success. Stop looking at little specks in people's eyes and start looking at the log in your... Play a spa for mercy in your temple. The truth is, without the revelation of God's goodness and mercy, we can all become hard-hearted, religious, judgy toward other people, people who put other people down and remind them of their past, people who destroy our people, other people with our speech. But when we encounter mercy, come on, we can make sure there's a place in the temple for the mercy of God. We can be rich in mercy. Come on, these who have been forgiven much, forgive much. Receive much mercy, give much mercy. Those who have been graced much, grace others much. 
We can be those people in this temple that's centered around mercy. Bringing mercy into the middle of everything we do. That's where success lies. Where every time we look at somebody we're about to damn or condemn or how could they or I would never. Or can you believe? Did you hear about? Instead, we remember that as a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are all a- always able to reserve a place for mercy in us. It does not judge others. Those who have been forgiven much, forgive others. Those who have not gotten what they deserve a lot, give away what they don't deserve a lot. They are rich in mercy towards others. Under the mercy seat, I want to tell you there are three things. One, and we're going to close with this. One was a pot of manna from the wilderness. And as long as this pot of manna was under the mercy seat, it stayed fresh. Normally, if they tried to keep it overnight, this manna, mercy, it would have worms in it the next day, just 24 hours later. But when they brought it in and put it under the fresh mercy seat of God, mercy fresh, guess what? The bread stayed fresh, never went stale, never got infested with worms. Mercy keeps things from going stale. Your marriage stale? Try try exuding mercy. Your relationship with your kids stale? Mercy is is the thing that will keep it fresh. You, you You want something alive at work with your coworkers? Give them some mercy. Cut them a break. Give them what they don't deserve. Another chance. Manna speaks to the miraculous mercy, second chance of God, fresh every morning. It also speaks to the provision of God. The provision of God. Every day, the people of Israel wake up, manna, mercy, fresh. And this is reminding me that all of our needs will be met according to his riches and according to his glory. He will always meet our needs, whether we're dead in a desert. He will meet us with mercy. You know, I'm, I'm worried about losing my job. If I don't do this, they're going to take my job. If I do this, it could go bad. A whole company's taking cuts. I mean, what is your provider? What is your source of miracle provision? I'm saying mercy trust that even when it looks bad when you're out in the desert ready to die with no food no water he's going to drop something provisional in his mercy i'd like to say you might not always think of it this way but the clothes you're wearing today are are because of his mercy the the food you have on your table this afternoon with football is because of his mercy his mercy is all over your life that has you living in the home that you're living in well i hate my house well stop complaining about the mercy of god We don't ever want to take his mercy for granted. It's his mercy that we have health and wealth. Come on, somebody. It's his mercy that we have a car to drive. It's his mercy that you are born in the most prosperous nation in the world. It's his mercy that people love you, care about you. It's his mercy that you live in 2021. You thought it was a curse. You're blessed. You are so cushy blessed. And when you see his mercy, it'll turn you into a grateful person, a praising person, a maximize the moment, make it count person. It's like, holy, you gave me another chance? What is this? You gave me another, come on now. His mercy doesn't push you away from God. It makes you want to maximize your moments left with God. It draws you towards God. Mercy, I want you to catch this with David. Mercy follows people who keep God first. Mercy follows people that have a heart after God. He said, like David, there is no other. He's a man after my own heart. I've shown him mercy. David said this about mercy. Surely mercy and goodness, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever where the mercy is in the middle. I'm always, always, always going to see his mercy and his goodness chasing me down. 
Every single day, his mercy is following me. His mercy is coming fresh. His mercy is hitting me fresh. Keeps partnering with God's goodness and changing my life. Come on. Has anybody ever discovered the mercy of God working where if he hadn't given you another chance over and over again, you would be a mess in the middle? Chances from God that won't stop chasing you down. Write it down. His chances keep on chasing me down. Chance after chance is chasing after me. Second chance romance with God. He will not stop chasing me with a second chance. His chances are pursuing me. His goodness is catching up to me. I can't stop. I can't get away from the goodness and the mercy of God. It's chasing me every single day. And surely, well, holiness would say, if you keep abusing the second, well, let me tell you, and surely I will dwell in the house of God, being all holy. Why? Because this mercy and this goodness won't stop leaving me alone. Makes me want to get up on a Sunday morning and get to church. I got another chance today, another chance tomorrow. Makes me want to get after it with God. I'm not running away from his temple. I'm running towards his temple. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ever, 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 ever. Ever say ever. And man of mercy is mercy new every morning. Every morning they walk outside. The Israelites were in the desert. They walk outside and fresh from the bakery of heaven and fresh from their ovens in heaven, manna was on the ground. And they literally called this. Manna means, what is this? Fresh food on the ground, on the daily? What is this? That's what mercy makes you do. What kind of God is this? You give me another chance at provision and fresh meals and stuff I didn't deserve and stuff I didn't bake and stuff I didn't earn and stuff that's impossible. Another impossibility today. What is this God? David said, who am I? That you are mindful of me, much less you keep on laying on the mercy. This is called man of mercy. What is it? What is it? It's dumbfounding to us. It's illogical to us. It goes against our humanity. Fresh every morning, and I treated you like that yesterday, and I'm whining about it today. And I'm asking for different food today, and you're still going to give me mercy? If you don't know the Israelites, they whined every day. They were known for their complaining, being wimpy whiners that walked in circles. And every single day, God met them in the middle with his mercy, manna, provision. I want to tell you, you should stop complaining and start rejoicing. Every day, brand new. Are you kidding me? I want to maximize this mercy moment. I'm going to make it count. I'm going to do a Joshua and Caleb move and say, come on, we are well able. If God can do this on the daily, if God can do this every single day for 40 years, imagine what he could do if we weren't complaining. Woo! Come on, all the non-complainers said. All the non-victims said. All the people who believe that they are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus said. Come on, everybody who said, I'm getting rid of my excuses. I'm getting rid of my shame. I'm getting rid of my guilt. I'm getting rid of my baggage and saying, I'm going to go for breakthrough. Man, bread provision, what is this? What kind of God is this? Manna, miracle, mercy. And under the mercy seat, that thing would never spoil or go stale. It stayed fresh every morning. Things stay fresh when new mercy is applied every day. Work it in your marriage. When under the mercy seat of God. Then under the mercy seat, I oh mean, I love the manna. There was the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark was Aaron's rod, Aaron's stick. 
It's like an old dead stick. This was a dead stick. They put it under the ark. When they placed it under the mercy seat, it started budding and blooming. Hello, Bloom Fresh. Women of Hope coming up in a couple weekends. Bloom. It's called Bloom. Hello, Bloom Fresh. Ladies, where are my ladies at? Yes. We're going to bloom. Dead things coming to life under the mercy of God on the daily. It had blossoms and buds of almonds growing on it, y'all. It was amazing. It was a miracle. The dead stick began to produce fruit again because of the mercy seed of God being over it. What is your dead things covered in? The mercy of God or the mercy of you? Under the mercy of you, it will stay dead. Under the mercy of God, it will come alive. Start to bear fruit, bud, blossom, bloom. Come on, you're going to do things that everybody says impossible for a dead man. It's the mercy of God that takes our dead marriages and causes them to come to life again. Mercy of God that takes what's been broken and shattered. A person who's been through such severe trauma that it looks like it's over, over. They'll never smile again. They'll never have peace again. Nobody will ever love me again. The family will never be whole again. But it's what you got left that you take and you place it under the mercy seat of God. His mercy can bring dead stuff back to life again. And you will bloom again. And you will blossom again. And you will start to bud again. And you're going to bear new fruits. His mercy can heal your home. His mercy can heal relationships that have been dead for years. You will see signs of life start springing forth again. Mercy will cause budding to happen again. Today he is saying on this football Friday, this bud is for you. This mercy is for you. This is new and it's for you. Mercy new and it's for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, this bud is for you. This blossom is for you. This bearing fruit thing, it's not for somebody else. It's for me. Because under the mercy seat, he can cause dead things to bud again. Dead marriages to bloom again. Where the enemy thought he would win and kill it. Because whenever you come under his mercy, dead things come back alive again. The enemy is done with his dead thing. You know, the mercy of God is such a powerful thing. Ark of Covenant started to tip over. Because of a cart wheel breaking or something, a man named Uzzah reached up and tried to steady the ark and help God out. And when he did, he accidentally lifted the mercy seat off of what it had been covering. And when he lifted that mercy seat, he dropped dead on the spot. Under the old covenant, this is God's way of saying, never uncover what my mercy has covered. Never lift off and begin to talk about and stir up and drag back out what my mercy and my blood has washed away. Be careful how you uncover what the mercy of God has covered. That's why you don't want to hang around people like, I remember you back in high school, and we were blackout drunk, and you started doing that stupid thing by that cliff, and that, that. Stop it. Stop uncovering what God has covered. That's what many, so many people have trouble with mercy, because they keep going back and lifting the lid off of what God said is finished, healed, restored, redeemed, and they just could keep pulling stuff out. They go back out and they say, let's pull up this old cool stuff that we can go back to the good old days and all this stuff just brings death. But if your mercy covers it, leave it alone. If the blood covers it on the mercy seat, leave it alone. Stop touching it. Stop digging through it. He says, I'll give you life where the enemy says there can be no life. I'll cause you to bloom again. Come on, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. Allow the mercy of God to be enough for you, people of hope. It's the mercy in the middle that makes it work. And finally, under the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat where the 
the Ten Commandments. Manna, sticks, and Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were just written on stone. Words on paper, unless they're under the mercy seat. Unless they're under the mercy seat. Unless it's under mercy. The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant for a period of time. When David finally got it back, it's interesting. Two things were missing. The really cool bread, which is a miracle. What is it? And, and the stick that was budding. And they're like, ooh, these are cool. We could combine this with our rituals and our stuff. We got this awesome bread, and we got this stick that's coming alive. It's interesting. They just left the, the commandments there. The manna was missing. They said, there's nothing good in these dead words and these dead laws and this dead religion. You keep your religion. You can take it. We want the cool stuff. And that's what the world is saying to the church. We, we don't want this commands and stuff like this. It, that doesn't bring life. That's not helpful. It's not cool. It's not refreshing. But, but these sticks and this bread, it's like, wow. And they just saw it as words. That's the point I'm making. You see, one of those commandments to David was this. You shall not commit adultery. It's just dead. Dead religion on paper. But if you... All you have is the law. It's just dead. You can't live it. You can't measure up. You'll never be enough. You got to have the mercy. You got to have the grace of God covering the commandments to allow you to have empowerment to live in the commandments. The Bible says the written law brings death, but the spirit of the law brings life to those in Christ Jesus. You got to have the spirit of the law written on your heart. He said, it's not enough to just have it on paper and on stones. I got to have it on the stones of my heart, on the paper of my heart. It's not enough to be external. I got to make it internal. So David missed the mark with the whole do not commit adultery thing. What did you say? The whole do not murder thing was a little much for him. He fell hard. I mean hard. And he needed the mercy of God. But in Proverbs 24, 16, David's son later wrote, Solomon, a righteous man. Who do you think he's talking about? A righteous man. Falls or fails seven times. Seven speaks to completion. Or something being all the way done, all the way over, all the way broke. No more hope. He screwed up royally. David did. I mean, he was in royalty and he screwed up royally. Killing people, stealing their wives. But a righteous man gets back up again the eighth time. And number eight speaks to new beginnings and fresh starts. Seven means completely screwed up. Eight means brand new beginning and a brand new start. And all of a sudden, the number eight starts exploding for David. It's like, oh my gosh. David has been experiencing the mercy of God his whole life. David was the forgotten son in the field, forgotten by his father, Jesse. David was the, the potentially illegitimate eighth son for Jesse. The reason Jesse didn't bring his eighth son is because He's kind of covered in shame. I got a different mom than the other seven boys. This is complete. And then I had David, and it didn't really fit together. David was a mistake. David was not the right choice. David was something wrong. That's why he's in the field. I'm not going to show David, number eight, the eighth son, when I have seven that I like. But God has mercy on the house of Jesse. And God picks the long shot. Just like he picked Peter, he picks David. God picked the eighth son because of his great love and his rich mercy. He picked the eighth son. And with David, he had mercy on all of Israel. He had mercy on the house of Jesse, his father. And he had mercy on the calling of David himself. He brought a whole new beginning to the nation to save them from their terrible choice of King Saul. I mean, it was awful. 
King Saul was the worst leader. Insecure, broken, a mess, hiding in the baggage. He was, he was, he was, when it was time to go to, to, to do something great, he was covered in his own baggage, literally hiding in the bags, hiding in shame, hiding in insecurity. But David, he's supposed to be shame filled. But he's a man after God's heart, and he chooses him. Not by what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. And David shows up with slings and rocks and kills giants and just takes on whole armies, cuts heads off of things. I mean, David's a warrior, fierce little champion, man. The eighth forgotten son in the field. God's rich in mercy. Saved him from King Saul. Saved Jesse from shame in his house. David was Israel's new beginning. David was Jesse's second chance for a new beginning and a fresh start. David was another chance after things had been completely screwed up. He is the number eight. Whew. Proverbs tells us the person who's righteous, the person who's in right standing with God keeps getting back up again and coming for another fresh start. Well, pastor, I love his goodness and I love his mercy. I just don't want to use it. I don't want to be a failure in front of him. That's what it's for. It's for a fresh start. Mercy new every morning for your failures, for your shortcomings, for your fallings. A righteous man, he falls, righteous falls seven times. But on the eighth time, he gets, he gets back up again in a new beginning, in the impossible, when it's completely over and completely dead. He believes again in himself, in God, in the mercy. Mercy new every morning. And even though David wrestled his daddy's demons when he had with Bathsheba, you see, the same mistake his dad made, he made. And now he's stealing people's wives and he's having Bathsheba and they're getting together. And then when they finally get the Ark of the Covenant back and he has a mercy son named Solomon, he's like, after all the failure of Bathsheba, he never referred to the Ark of the Covenant as the Ark of the Covenant ever again. Every time he ever spoke of that box to his son, every time he spoke of that box to his kingdom, every time he spoke of that box to scriptures today, he called it the mercy seat. For some people, it's a covenant thing. For me, all I see is mercy. It's the mercy seat. It's the seat of God's mercy because to him, it was so personal. He had experienced the mercy of God and knew this has to be in the middle of everything that goes on in this temple. Mercy must triumph over judgment, Solomon. Mercy in the middle for this kingdom, son. Mercy in the middle for this kingdom, Solomon. Mercy in the middle every morning for me, son. you got to catch the mercy. And later his son writes, the, the righteous fall seven times, but he gets back up again. Mercy's got to be in the middle of your mindset if you're going to reign in life, if you're going to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, if you're going to be holy as he is holy. And when you get to the closing years of David's reign in life, he only refers to that ark as the mercy seat. Because individually and intimately, it had become the recipient. He had become the recipient of God's mercy, giving him another chance. He knew that I should not be here but for the mercy of God. But for the grace of God. Come on. But for the goodness of God. I should not be here. Come on, church. Are you glad you serve a God who keeps saying mercy in the middle of everything? Keep it. Keep mercy in the middle of everything. I want to be really merciful to others. I'm going to be really merciful in myself. Mercy for me and mercy for thee. Mercy in the middle, all around my life. Surely it's going to chase me down. 